Greeting, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we dig up the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I'm Mary Johnston, and this familial burden with me is my brother, Thomas Johnston. How are you doing, Thomas? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm feeling <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm just <laughs> coughing loudly, interrupting people. Um... So at the time of this recording, uh, we are stra- we are currently experiencing uh, the Democratic uh, candidate debates, right? Night two. Night two. Uh, and uh, you, Thomas, had a particularly uh, saucy idea for how certain candidates could win the debate. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on it? Yeah, I think it would be good. That's, I mean, um, I feel like there's some copy pasta floating around about like yawning to interrupt people. But I do think it would be awesome if loud coughing or farting or yawning was used during uh, other people's answer time. So they'd be like, you know, uh, Vice President Biden, uh, do you uh, in fact think that uh, children should be strung up at the border and shot? And then, like, as he's starting to answer and is like, well, as my old friend Barack Obama, like Kamala Harris could just be like, <coughs> oh, I'm so sorry. They have to bring grossly out a chair for her to sit in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. I did. I um, so I'm an Elizabeth Warren fan. Full dis- full disclosure. Uh, I did like all of her um, all of her eyebrow work and hand mm-hmm. work during the last debate. Like when she would like rub her hands together with glee. I, I next time I want her to crack her <laughs> knuckles when she's about getting ready to go and talk. I thought it was great. <laughs> Just be careful though. Too much hand rubbing and glee, and she'll have like a weird Emperor Palpatine kind of energy. <laughs> Palpatine? <laughs> Palpatine, sorry. Well, you know. <laughs> you say Palpatine, I say Palpatine. I'm the I'm like uh I'm like Lando. I just say everybody's name different. Han. Not wrong, just different. Han and Leah. Yeah, Han and Palpatine. <laughs> Palpatine. All right. Would you like I'm to sorry, say? Sorry. Would you like to, would his you friends like, call him Sheev. His first name. Would you like to uh, correctly pronounce some people's names? Hopefully, and tell us about the personnel on this episode of Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> Absolutely. So, the director of uh, this little wonder, which is of course called Fitting Punishment, is uh, Jack Shoulder, who is a horror director. Um, he directed The Hidden, Renegades, Arachnid. None of which I have seen. And I also haven't seen any of those. And also Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which, oh. which, which I have seen. I have seen that. Is that what? What's the hidden about? I uh, I don't know. I mean, I could look it up and tell you. No, no, I, no. I, it's I okay. I'll, I'll look it up in my own time. Yeah, actually, actually, I did. I think I did look it up. I think it came up because it's vaguely about like possession and body stealing. And it came up because I was reading about it when we did our body snatcher episode. Um, but anyway, he's um, he's one of these guys who I think kind of... Uh, at one point wanted to be sort of a like arty auteur and sort of came into horror um and he is a native uh, or he was a native son of philadelphia which is important for re- for listeners to remember because it will come up later um also notably um this episode has a is notable for being the only tales for the crypt episode to have an all-black cast but the director is uh is is, is white is a white fella <laughs> he's a white guy um the writers on this um there are three people uh, credited as writers, Jonathan David Kahn. This is his only writing credit, and there is no information available about him on IMDb. Uh, Another writer is... I hope that he's okay. Well, (laughs) the other writer is named... Or one of the other writers is named Michael Allen Kahn. 
how these are connected was this with brothers cousins nephew, father's well, son if, if the other one didn't amount to anything I think it's a real nephew situation <laughs> son-in-law but anyway um, Michael Alencon is interesting because this is his only writing credit but he is an inveterate assistant director and producer um, he did second unit um, directing on seven die hard one and two lethal weapon two and three so he's done like all kinds of you know kind of semi-bad movies that I like. Um, and then the probably doing most of the heavy lifting here, um, one would guess if only based on um, previous writing experience, is Don Mancini, who doesn't have a ton of writing credits necessarily, but has written or co-written every single Child's Play movie. Whoa. <laughs> so he is Mr. Child's Play. And so he, and, you know, he has, he has reasonable credits, but most of them are the Child's Play movies. Sure. Huh. So the cast, um, this has uh, um, a number of people who have been in things that I know about but have not seen. Um, Moses Gunn leads up the cast as Uncle Ezra, credited in IMDb as Thornberry. Though that never comes up. But also, it's Thornberry Mortician. So this seems this seems like a mistake. Uh, Maybe Um, maybe uh, they're related to the uh, Thornberries of the wild. Right, right, yes, Wild Thirst. But anyway, um, Moses Gunn had roles in Shaft, Ragtime, Heartbreak Ridge. He was in, which which I guess I've seen Shaft, but I I've haven't seen, seen Shaft, Ragtime yeah. or Heartbreak Ridge. But he was also in Leonard Part 6, which I've seen, and also on The Cosby Show. He was a... Okay. Uh, he was a, sta- <laughs> oh, he was a stage actor. I've he never was... seen Leonard Part 6, and now probably oh. I never will. Oh, no, maybe we should, wa- we should watch it for the show. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's very bad. I don't know. Rightfully about. bad. No. Um. Anyway, <laughs> Moses Gunn was was a was a movie actor and also a stage actor. Um. He died in 1993. Um. He uh he was sort of I think um there's a lot of quotations and stuff in his biography that kind of indicate that he was at the leading edge of sort of being a a, a mainstream African mainstream African American movie star. Not you know maybe not the first, but you know. Uh, it's sort of is sort of functioning in that world and being interviewed later about it. Um, John Clare plays Bobby and basically was sort of a child actor and then disappeared. Um, maybe he had presumably he has another job or something now, but he OK. Uh, Teddy Wilson is Clyde, the, the organ player. He was a sitcom actor. Um, generally, he was on Good Times, Blood In, Blood Out. That's my mama. He was also in Golden Girls. He was in an 80s and an episode of the 80s reboot of The Twilight Zone. Uh, he died in 1991. Um, and then Rippy. Nick. Yeah. Then Nick Latour um, is the doctor. Um, he he's in, I think, the most movies I've seen. He was in Jingle All the Way. Don Juan oh. DeMarco. Yeah. Uh, and Don Juan DeMarco. He died in 2011. Um, and something fascinating about him is that he is the son of Edgar Daniel Nixon Sr., who was the man who posted bail for Rosa Parks when she was arrested. Hey, that's cool. That's, yeah. Um, and so that, that that's sort of our cast. Very nice. Very nice. Um, well, so I'll tell you a little bit about what this episode is about. Um, so Bobby uh, is, I would guess in this episode, supposed to be like 16 or 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has suddenly become an orphan. And is coming to live with his stingy old uncle Ezra. So Ezra puts him to work in his funeral parlor and proves himself to be just as cruel as he is stingy uh, by mistreating the boy and eventually um, beating him so that he breaks his spine and the kid is crippled. 
and then eventually kills Bobby because he's no longer able to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and to save to save a, a dime, he slices, he saws his legs off uh, so that he can fit him into a short cut rate coffin. However, Ezra isn't uh, exactly meticulous at laying bodies to rest, and a crime this heinous can't stay buried for long. <laughs> so let's start off as we always do. What is the moral of this episode? So every does every episode have to have a pithy moral? Because if so, this one is blood is thicker than water, which is not the titular line, but like sort of could be. <laughs> It's it's uh it's definitely the uh, the gut punch or like right yeah it, it would be the chorus if this movie was a song or this TV show was a song. <laughs> it's the part where like drunk sorority girls sing along because it's the only words they know. Yeah 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 exactly. It'd be like if this was a sitcom when a person enters uh, a room they would say blood is thicker than water. It's like the catchphrase of this. It's episode. like every time Joe, uh, every time Joe Biden says malarkey. Yeah, it's it, it is to this episode what malarkey is to Joe Biden. In <laughs> a replacement in, for personality in potentially more ways than one. Uh, Joe Biden um, is malarkey. Anyway, but, but, oh man, but so I don't. Um, but but really though, like this episode. This episode is sort of, I guess, kind of a cautionary tale. But I think that Uncle Ezra is so over the top. In terms of his sort of like moral failings and stuff, uh, I, you know, I don't think this is supposed to be instructive. Like, look, here's the deal: when an orphan comes to your house and she's your, and he's your, your estranged sister's son, don't beat him so much with a crowbar that he's paralyzed. This 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 uh, episode is more of just like a straight up cosmic revenge tale, and like it's just fun to watch a terrible person have bad things ultimately happen to them. You, you know what I mean? This is kind of a like, kind of a you know what goes around comes around. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I feel like in some ways it is moralistic in that I think that it's uh, a commentary about like would you? There's like lots of different flavors of betrayal. But, oh yeah, no, sure, and, absolutely, and this absolutely. Is, and this is and this is saying like, if you are if like the worst kind of betrayal you can you can do is betrayal of family and community because that's like Uncle Ezra's whole deal, right? Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. It's just like you know how like some of these episodes are kind of like that he he made one bad choice and look what happened yeah, no, to no, him. No, you know, yeah, no, 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 no. Uncle Ezra, you're not supposed this, to. Like, you're not supposed to. You're not like identifying with Uncle Ezra. Uncle Ezra is like a like a morality play or like a mystery play, you know what i mean like yeah this is like a, this is like this whatever the genre of like medieval plays where the bad man is dragged off to hell at the end is <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we get a little a little bit of uh a little bit of dr faust back in here potentially right. um so <laughs> when <laughs> I'm just, I'm just sorry i'm just imagining a version of faust where faust is as crabby as uncle ezra is <laughs> I mean, Frost is not his... exactly is not exactly a happy dude. Well, yeah, but okay. Like, do you remember the awesome part where um, Bobby says, "You wanted to see me, Uncle Ezra," and Uncle Ezra says, "No, but I have no choice." <laughs> I, do, like, I, do, like, I mean, Uncle Ezra did make me laugh in his horribleness quite a few times. Yeah, I just imagine Faust being that crabby, though, kind of like, you have summoned me. And he's like, oh, you again. Yeah, Mistopheles shows up and he's he's like, Christ, what an asshole. <laughs> indulge me in the basest earthly pleasures you fool <laughs> yeah that would be pretty good um 
So there's a there's a lot going on in this episode uh, that I think is worthy mm-hmm. talking about. But one thing that I was particularly interested in is that this story has has of course draws on an old uh, pulpy horror comic as most of these stories do, right? Mm-hmm. So this appears in Vault of Horror issue number sixteen under the same name, but that story draws on an H.P. Lovecraft short story called In the Vault. Mm-hmm. And um, In the Vault is about a stingy undertaker who gets stuck in uh, in like this sort of like wine cellar for bodies during wintertime. So when it was winter and they didn't have like backhoes, they couldn't dig graves, right? In New England, it's all right. frozen over. So they sure. would just stick bodies in their coffins in like in vaults underneath the cemetery or near the cemetery. And they would just kind of like freeze over the winter, right? And then yeah. in the spring, when the bodies and the ground was starting to thaw, they would bury them all at once. Sure. Worst storage wars locker ever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and in this story, the undertaker gets trapped in his vault. And realizes that his only means of escape is to use a bunch of coffins as a step stool to reach this tiny, tiny window at the top and crawl out of it. And when he does it, he stands on the top coffin and his he like breaks through like his legs break through and he's now standing in the coffin and he experiences terrible shooting pain up his legs. But he does manage to crawl out the window. And when he is out, he realizes that the coffin he was standing on was a uh, belonged to a man who hated him. And he notices that the marks on his leg weren't injured because he broke through wood. They are, in fact, teeth marks. Mm-hmm. So you can see where, like, kind of this idea is coming from, where it's like someone that you did something bad to uh, chewing on your legs or attacking your legs, which then led well, to this story. Right. And the final sting is that this is written from the perspective of a physician who's relaying the story to you and how he examined him and he's got the tooth marks. But also the guy who he buried in the cut rate coffin, he cut he cut that guy's legs off. The undertaker did to like fit him in the coffin. Yes. And so it's like so it's like the dead body is trying to get justice. Sort of. Right. Right. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. So when you said this was based on H.P. Lovecraft, I've. I like Lovecraft more than is like healthy and normal. So I was like, really? Which story is that? So, so when I read this one, I was like, oh, yeah, this one. This is this is almost nothing to do with the episode. <laughs> you're like, you're like, where, where are the evil underwater demons? Well, no, but I think I think maybe possibly for that reason, this is this is definitely one of the like lesser loved um, H.P. Lovecraft stories. Um, it, it, yeah, it's OK. It, go, it goes a little poey. Yeah, yeah. It feels and, like and he's a- trying yeah, it's sort of written in like this funny where you can tell it's supposed to be sort of in like dialect. It's supposed to be a little bit more folksy. So that's OK. Yeah, it feels kind of poey. But I couldn't. But of course, like when I was thinking about this episode, um, both of those stories, because they were written in the past, were about white mm-hmm. guys. They were written by right. white guys. And they're about white guys. Right. And I was pro- pro- probably good that Lovecraft was not writing about not white guys. <laughs> Very different, somewhat more upsetting story. Well, are you thinking that he was, in fact, Lovecraft was not woke? Well, I mean, I, I think that's well known. It's well known that the true horrid H.P. Lovecraft's writing is racism. Oh, good. Um, 
But of course, I think it's notable that this is the only episode that we're going to have that has a completely black cast. And and so right. far is basically the only episode where we've had black main characters thus far. Uh, I mean, what about uh, the sacrifice? There's the uh, uh, the uh, the um, the priestess or the, you know. Wait, yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. yeah, I mean, she's a main or, character. I mean, I mean cer- certainly, certainly, would you say those are like the only two episodes I can think of off the top of my head that like tackle like racial themes? And this one, I don't think really does at the surface level tackle no, racial no, themes. No. But I, mean, right. I do think that um, I've read I read an article which pointed out to me and, and I, I learned a bunch about the cultural significance of morticians or funeral directors within the black communities in America. And I immediately thought of that when I watched this episode. So there is a a scholar named Beverly Bunch Lyons who has done a bunch of work looking into the history of black funeral parlors in America. Um, And I think that it, it it might not be intentional, especially since it was written by a bunch of white guys. Um, But I do think it has an interesting dialogue with what's going on in this story. So um, Bunch Lyons writes about how after the Civil War, right, and suddenly suddenly uh, black Americans could own could own businesses, their own home. Right. Like at least in theory in some parts Mm -hmm. of America, there was a there was growing concern in the community that you couldn't trust uh, black corpses with white undertakers, that they would desecrate the bodies or not not do as good of a job or, or just generally be racist and bad in the sure. it, when handling so, like you know a, a family member who is passed and it's very sad and like that, that's a time when you need to be very respectful so sure. many black americans were like we would like black undertakers which makes total sense so it was sure. a booming it was a booming business that that worked out and it was built on the foundation that we're going to bury our own and so that we know that it will be done correctly and with respect and care. Right. Mm-hmm. So I also I think that the issue of um, burying bodies is, I think, sort of politically alive, no, no matter when you're living, um, such that uh, during during the time, uh, you know, before the Civil War, um, there were a lot of funny laws about burying uh, the remains of black people, especially in the South, um, uh, because the, there was a thought that um, that this was an opportunity for escape or planning escape or planning uprisings or like we can't let them have this private thing. So a lot in a lot of places in the South, it was actually legally mandated that 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 the master or overseer be present for the burial. Oh, um, so you couldn't because, like sneak. Right. You couldn't sneak people right, because, out in coffins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Living people uh, out in coffins. Right, or, or or maybe it's just like yeah, you're having a private funeral, but also you're you're making plans. It, it, it's totally like a it's it's totally a kind of like we will deny them e- even even the the smallest shred of privacy or dignity, you know, to the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I uh, just reading about in my reading. The um, this was the largest entrepreneurial uh, or the second largest entrepreneurial trade for um, African-American people around the turn of the century. Second only to catering. Uh, catering was was bigger, but undertakers. And I also um, the other things I read was that the first um, trade publication marketed towards um, uh, African-Americans or towards black people um, in America was was uh, was uh, a mortician funeral um, parlor kind of thing, and this was helpful because in 1912, 
the various funerary organizations um, all uh, became racially uh, uh, segregated. The the white organizations said that there were no black people allowed in their organizations. Sort of the you know with that weird. It, it's hard to say second, but you, you know that sort of. Uh, uh, rise of the clan kind of second wave terrible jim crow kind of racism thing that the morticians were included in that um the other well, the other thing i want to say is that also the civil war is also is important not only for emancipation and everything but in the mortician profession this is also where you got professionalized undertaking before this it was just kind of like put them in a box put them in the ground kind of thing but embalming technology caught up and in the civil war they were embalming corpses and then like shipping them back home to pennsylvania or shipping them back home to georgia or whatever and so um being a mortician became like more of a more of a profession and a job rather than just kind of being like yeah let's put them in the box no problem yeah so it was just to say that you know this all of this is like an intersection of time and this was a profession and and uh something that these people became uh uh, leaders in their communities and, and in many cases quite rich um, being a being a black mortician was like a stepping stone to success in politics uh, because you were known in your community. And as I said, that having somewhat lavish funerals became, or, you know, relatively lavish funerals sort of became the norm. And so these guys became rich and, and successful. And it's like, you know, it's, it's the ultimate recession proof job, right? Like yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Everyone will need something like this eventually. Um, and, uh, Bunch Lions really focuses in on the fact that typically these are family businesses. Like you mm-hmm. teach at this time, especially you would, uh, you would start your business and it would be small. Right. And over time you would start to gain money and you would start teaching your children the business as well. And it was, it was sort of a, it was a respected, right. it was respected, important work that you were, that was an honor to hand down to your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And your kids would continue, right, as as technology right. yeah, yeah, changed yeah. and as, like, the style changed, your kids would need to be keeping up and they would maintain this business going forward, you mm-hmm. know, into, sure. into, you know, into the present day. Into right? a perpetuity. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Um, but another important part about this is that you needed you needed to treat to be successful. Right. You need to. um serve the living as well as you serve the dead. You have to comfort people at terrible times in their life. And if you were good at that, right? If you could if you could treat a family well and and bury their family members with respect um and you know and, and be a central member of your community, you would be successful at this. So it was important to serve your community even during the worst times. Like she talks about how um there are funeral homes that have been around, like Black-owned funeral homes that have been around since the Civil War still, especially in the South, that have their books going all the way back to the Great Depression, where they show marks where it's like, well, these people couldn't pay for a funeral with money, but instead we took this many chickens from their farm. Oh, sure, sure. And, yeah. and they, they still have IOUs fr- on file from that period that the person never really paid back, right? But... It was okay because they still they still were such a important piece of the community that they were like, well, you know, yeah, maybe you can't pay now, but like eventually you'll make it right. And it that's like that's very moving, I think, <laughs> when you think about it, sure. um, especially for a business that long uh, mm-hmm. going. And she says um, one of the one of the funeral uh, directors that she interviewed says ours is a business of loyalty. It's client based royalty loyalty that built this funeral business. 
um, and funeral and funeral directors will do whatever they can to accommodate their long term customers. But, you know, this is a business. So there's there's, you know, there's keeping of books and there's a lot of talking about shoestring budgets in this. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to make a profit margin on this. Oh, sure. But they talk about they talk about how you start with like the best basics you can. So like, right, you got to keep up with like embalming technology. That's the most important thing. You don't you don't go and buy a better hearse until you have that in place. And that's really how you grow your business. So it was also a place where just good business practices within the African-American community um, were taught and celebrated. So even if you weren't going to become a funeral director or own your own funeral parlor, it was a good way to learn how to run a business. Um, so it was even important in the community in that way. Sure. I, I, I Some other interesting things I read um, – uh, hearses and limousines were frequently uh, uh, owned by um, uh, black uh, morti- mortuary businesses and funeral homes were frequently used to transport um, uh, civil rights leaders around in the South uh, That's during cool. the civil rights movement. Um, I think probably because it was that there was it was it was kind of a low key way to move these move people around. But anyway, um, the uh, yeah, obvi- this this would not be unique. I wouldn't I haven't done any research, but I wouldn't be surprised if other let's say persecuted minority communities probably pull together and I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is something we would see in other groups um, because I think affording dignity and death to those denied that in life um, probably is a is a powerful and important feeling uh, so, so something else I read um, is that just like preachers um, uh, having a lot of sort of societal clout and power and then the idea that that may corrupt them crooked undertakers are kind of a genre staple for certain kinds of stories. Uh, kind of, b- 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 of course, right? Because these people are important, upstanding members of the community, but also there are some bad apples in there. Or even, you know, how can anybody have have all have all of this? They got money, they got power, they got respect. Of, co- of, of course, there are people that are going to be rotten. Right, and I think that it's important, and, and the reason we did all this reading about it is, like, we're, we're two white people, right? Right, and, right, yeah, I, yes, yes. right. And, you know, I think that in our in white, in white community, too, like you expect funeral uh, directors and our morticians to be, you know, whistle clean, upright members of society. Right. Like it's a, it's a good it's a good job to have. But mm-hmm. I don't think that we have the same sort of rich tradition of being concerned that another group would be disrespectful to our dead. And yeah, yeah. Yes, the, the there. And, and the need, the need, the, the need at that time to segregate and, and to, even to this day be like, yeah, I'm not going to try trust a white person to bury my grandma. Like, that's just right. not what's going to happen. We don't have that same history, um, mostly because we're the bad guys in that story. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Or our people are the bad guys in that right. story. So I th- I think that it it. This background for me really enriches this particular horror tale. Like it's it's even he, Uncle Ezra's actions in this and his betrayal of his community by, you know, buying bad coffins and by, you know, not using embalming fluid and just washing people's uh, blood out of their veins with, with tap water. And all those things are so much more shocking because he is supposed to be the one who's laying their their loved ones to rest with respect and kindness, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think it's. You know, I I had a little bit of trepidation because you want to be careful. You don't want to like exoticize or other or yeah. I don't want to, in some way, 
disrespect the episode um and you know that, that that's just always something to keep in mind um i would also say this this uh, the this episode to me felt like it was a wi- sort of like a window into a in, in, into a family business almost more so than anything else um i, I think that uh they do a good job you know when you think the early 90s um i think that there's a lot of a lot of media that's very um exploitive and trivializing of the black experience in the united states maybe there's a lot of good important stuff but then there's also a lot of stuff this seems to be when we uh i don't know when it got real gross (laughs) um for this kind of the for these sorts some of these kinds of stories and so that was sort of a pleasing surprise a little horror sting on the end of everything we've been saying i read an article from maybe last year in the atlantic about um uh african-american uh family um uh, funeral homes a lot of them are closing um, because of consolidation and uh, chain uh, mortuary businesses and gentrification is moving populations around and, and pricing people out or or money is leaving communities. Um, so a lot of this history, a lot of these books and stuff are just kind of being lost. Uh, and there is uh, there it, this article at least kind of indicated that there is some interest in trying to save some of that history. But a lot of it's already gone. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's also sort of a shame. It's a horrible shame. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, no matter who you are and what community you belong to and or, you know, what funerals you've gone to, it is shocking. You don't want to think that the second you're not looking at your at your uh, departed loved one in a casket, that the that the organist like just slams, <laughs> slams the cover <laughs> down on the piano, like the minute that you leave, the slams the cover down on the organ, and like everyone's like, all right, let's just get it over with. Like, you don't want to think that way, even though it might, it might, it might be closer to that than you, like kind of like the, the, sure. the sanctified air. But I do think that if you're going to, if you know your business and you're, and you're good at it, you know, you're you're you are a physician. You can't you you don't treat human beings this way, right? And, no, and, and consider 100%. yourself a professional, right? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. like yes. you handle you in some way handle dead bodies also all the time, and <laughs> I would expect that you, you know, it, it is expected and that you handle them with respect and with kindness, even in death. And, no, hundred percent. I think there is uh, you. I mean, right? You're. You're a mortician, you're a neurosurgeon, you know, your plumber doesn't have to be a good person. They don't have to like you. They don't have to respect you, but they should be professional. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I some of that in, professionalism is treating is treating bodies with respect. Right. And, and if your job, uh, as, as, as it may be, if you um, in, 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 if you work in some fields of medicine, if you work in if you're an undertaker. Um, uh, involves having sort of a therapeutic relationship with living people. And uh, it's, and, and if you're not good at that, you're not good at your job. <laughs> and that's, and, you know, because, because that's very much part of it too. And so again, you know, th- this for Uncle Ezra, right? This may be the third funeral today, but part of his job is to comfort and console and in, and, and in a way work to help heal this, fa- help heal grieving people. Um, so, uh, you know, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do a good job of that. Um, yeah. He always well, not even, even aside from pretending. being. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Even aside, you know, right. He he can keep all of that stuff inside, but he he, uh, he he lets it out a little bit too much. 
It creeps uh, around know, the it, edges. It, he like hustles people out the door. Um, right. When that man is um, is in the process of picking out, like yeah, arranging that. the funeral for his son, that you know he definitely gets the thing where he's like, "Yeah, just get a cheap coffin. No worries. Like it's fine." Yeah. yeah. Can't imagine that someone would want to spend money on this sort of thing, which is funny because it's his business. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He should be happy. Well, but okay, but. It- it's, it's really, though, it's not that he's trying to talk the end of something cheap. It's that he ordered the wrong thing and now is mad because he has to eat the cost of the cheaper coffin. Yeah. Which also is funny because, I mean, and again, right, we're going to. You're like, can't he just is, hold on to it? Yeah, just hold on to it. There's like tons of empty space. Like we've seen it. You think you just lean it up against it, put yeah, it underneath. That coffin's the, not going to like go bad. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe it does. Maybe that's how cheap they are. <laughs> <laughs> maybe rotten coffin. But yes. Yeah. 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 The, uh, yeah. yes. The. <laughs> Yeah, but but yes, you know, I think that um, I do like, do you like it when uh, Clyde is playing the organ and he's always, I feel like this happens at least twice, where he's like, stop, he's like, you know, cut that organ music off, stop playing that damn organ, as if it's like costing him money for his employee to play the organ for them. Yeah, no, like that, like, that, like you know, that, like, like, like any, like, any, like, even a second of extra music is, is, uh, is money out of his pocket. Right, 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 which is, I mean, it's hilarious. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe he like as soon as Clyde is done playing, he's like, "Get out!" And he's no, paid I mean, out. He is kind of like pull the. I think he's like pull the car around or whatever. So maybe maybe it makes sense. But it still is funny because you like you imagine in his mind, there's like a meter that's running, and like the, the organ plays. You know, it's an extra nickel that he that he has to shell out. Yeah. Um. So as a part of this, so we definitely see Ezra um, chiseling his community, right? Like he is. Sure. He is. Um, he is providing a service that is cut rate for the cost that he is, you know, right. Like he's providing the least amount of service for the most amount of profit possible. Right. And, 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 and in a deceptive way too, it's, this yeah. is, he's yeah, obviously, I mean, I'm like, right. now, now I want you guys at home to know he is not a good guy. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and <laughs> right. And, and kind of like reveling in it, right? Like this yeah, is something yeah, he yes. gets off on is yeah. cheating people in his community out of their money. Um, right. when they are most vulnerable, potentially. We and, also, he, and he's, oh, so he also keeps up this weird crocodile tear front too, where he wants to, like, he thinks that he's get totally getting away with it at yeah. all times. You know, like it's that, it's that, uh, it's that psychopath. Like I'm the only one who really knows what's going on. I have a double life. It's, you know, his double life doesn't involve like cutting up, you know, children or sex workers or something. Instead is just like being a horrible bastard. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think another lever of the horror of this is um, pulling on a classic literary trope, which is the horror of becoming an orphan, right? Mm -hmm. We have so many orphans in literature and horror movies. And like, so I think that we also have Bobby as, as like the central figure of, um, of vulnerability, right? Where he sure. is, he is a, so there's, there are the dead bodies, which Ezra is not nice to. And now mm-hmm. we have a living, a living child who Ezra mm-hmm. is really not nice to in the center. And there is absolutely nobody like Bobby is a, is a living person who has no one who will, who can speak up for him. Right. Cause his parents are sure. dead. Right. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I thought was a and you have this kind of ongoing trope of like blood is thicker than water, which like the water instead of embalming fluid also sort of is a is a parallel to that I really enjoy. Um, did, did you? Yeah. Did you like the bit where um where he's taking Bobby down to kind of show him like the business initially? Right. And he sticks that sticks that like weird drainer catheter thing in the in the corpse's leg. 
and uh and bobby's like Wah! and he's like it's only blood so for uncle ezra blood is not important you know, you know right which you're like message hello yeah 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 i did like that part i do i i feel like this is a this is a non-christmassy uh christmas carol story yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, I thought about this too. Yes, he's like very Uncle Scrooge. He's very Scroogey. If Scrooge did not have redemption, he is Uncle Ezra, right? Where he's like, <laughs> he provides he provides a service that you should pay for, right? But he does it in a way that's so dickish that you're yeah. like, geez, dude. And uh, and he has this rejection of his family. He's so mean to his family members at it's the same like- time. It's sort of like if Scrooge was an undertaker and beat Cousin Fred to paralysis with a crowbar and then pushed Tiny Tomb down the stairs. Uh, please, it would. Uh, I think you mean um, buried him with a stake of holly through his heart. That's right. <laughs> Cooked in his own pudding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, this actually kind of feeds into my ambush if I can spring it. Yeah, go for it. So, 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 right, like there is, there is violence. The, this we're dancing around this, but obviously this is an episode that's about betraying your community, betraying your family, betraying the trust and responsibility that is placed into you and eventually coming to a terrible end from it. Fine. I wonder, is there also some uh, critique? This is very timely with the democratic debate of, uh, of sort of capitalism or small business ownership or, what the street fight radio guys would would call uh, Uncle Ezra. He's a small business tyrant. He has this business and he just uh, he squeezes the employees for all they're worth. And he, you know, lords over it. Uh, these people are all around us. Um, and, you know, sort of Scrooge is the, I think, literary icon for this. But is this a critique of basically the economic order in which we live? And if it is a critique, is it, is it a particularly vigorous or rigorous one? I think it would be kind of a light critique. Um, I I don't think we have like a broader context. Like, I think what you're getting around to is big companies do this, but they're so big that they don't need to. They don't have to be quite as skin flinty about it. Right. Like they have they have bigger fish to fry. Like I work for a big company. And I'm sure they get enormous tax breaks. So they don't really have to be like, how long is your lunch? You know, right. like that's not right. it's not even worth their time, economically speaking, to to be such tyrants to their employees, which is nice because we like the employees enjoy like a relatively respectful and um, enjoyable work situation. Right. And that, I think, is true of a lot of white collar. Yeah, right. Unless you, unless you work on an Amazon, uh, unless you yeah. work on an Amazon warehouse, um, yeah, you're pretty safe. Right. Yeah. So like I'm I have a cushy office job, so I enjoy the privilege of that. But it is like the horrors of capitalism still at play. They're just quieter. Whereas if you're a small business owner and you're um, and you're fighting out in a world that, you know, has in Uncle Ezra's case, like maybe there is there is chain uh, funeral parlors and things like right, that. Right, or, yeah, right. Or, or like something run by an actually nice person that's four blocks over or. Sure. Like your margins are much narrower so you it's it is hard scrabble and does that because you're trying to keep up in um in a cruel capitalistic environment does it does it degrade your soul and turn you into uh, an uncle scrooge-esque character yeah i would believe so but i i don't think it i don't think it gives us the context of the broader capitalistic 
I think to sure. tell that story well, you have to show you have to also show like the big like the big dogs that actually benefit from capitalism that mm-hmm. force the small business owner to like dog paddle as fast as they can to keep up. And it's like just a losing fight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, um, you also don't need to show. I mean, I don't think you need to show uh, um, big companies to understand like human exploitation. I mean, you know, right. Like the sure. issue is that Uncle Ezra like knows the names and favorite colors, you know, probably of the people he's choosing to exploit for his own profit, which is different from when you, you know, have thousands of employees on your payroll. Um, I was just kind of thinking about this with um, Scrooge in particular, because what's funny, and it's Dickens lived in a different time, of course, but, you know, right. Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Isn't that like the classic? Isn't that like the classic sort of midline or moderate Democrat sort of response where it's kind of like, look, I pay my taxes. Shouldn't like. Shouldn't like the country be able to handle this? The, those go- whenever they do those goofy polls and they find out that like Republicans give more money to charity or whatever, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. Um, but you know, right? Like even 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 Dickens basically had to kind of uh, construct this around the narrative of the like just and benevolent millionaire. You know, right? Like if only, if only, <laughs> if only the Silicon Valley billionaires would come save us, everything would be okay. Elon Musk actually has a great idea for how to save the U.S. economy. Just so happens yeah. that it also lets him do whatever the crap he wants. Right. All right. So I think that's the, that, that, that also sort of a pernicious narrative that uh, is everywhere, including the new Mary Poppins uh, movie. If you see if you've seen that yet. I haven't seen that. I, I might if it has a if it, if it has yeah, this Dick, kind Dick of Van Dyke is the good millionaire spoilers. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Um. Yeah, I like I like that read of it quite a bit. I hadn't considered the small business aspect of it, but that's yeah. that's definitely true. I mean, I, mean I, I, I myself have not worked at a um, for a small business of this sort. But like, you know, you talk to people and just sort of are aware, like the ultimate horror stories where you're like one of four employees and your boss is, you know, borderline crazy with their weird tight fisted controllingness. Yeah, I mean, it's very I the experience I've had is very different because I worked for a small like I worked for a startup which sure, is sure. um which is tech white person code for a small business. Right, right. Really? And, and, but but and also and and has its own its own particular flavors of of craziness. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, but like definitely the way that my boss at that job treated his employees went over the line of professional behavior. And I think the reason he felt like he could do it is because he was running it kind of like a family business, you know? Yeah. Capitalism sucks. I think is what I'm saying. (laughs) It's not, it's in and of itself does not, does not, uh, it like uncle Ezra does not value community or human beings. Right. Also, oh, also, here's something else. Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, we need to smash the state. But um, the, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, a mortician also treats bodies as commodities, just like, just like capitalism does. Oh. And also, and all, I mean, right. And also just like, a, just like white people have historically forever bodies yeah tr- treated uh bodies of people of color yeah for sure yeah, right right so i was thinking the stuff he says he says all kinds of great sort of like casually shitty stuff to people but he sells it a lot better than louisa yates does in four-sided triangle like when he's calling people fools right and left but it doesn't feel like weird it doesn't clang on the ear you're like yeah uncle ezra would say 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the the most bone chilling I think he gets, and and in this episode he saws his own um, nephew's legs off. So like, right. there's there's good competition. And in like when, a cold blooded calculating way too, not like a, I'm so mad at you, just like oh, okay, job yeah. speed off. You're like too tall for this coffin. <laughs> there's a solution for this. I have the right. solution. Waving, <laughs> I've got a, the solution. waving yeah. a saw around um, is when he is like palpably like almost titillated by the like the concept of how much his own sister's funeral must have been yeah and it's right and it's right up front too yeah 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 and when, it's, what's yeah go ahead because right so bobby's parents die in a horrible car accident and he's like oh that must have been so messy and so much work so much extra extra work to put that to put that body back together so you could have it in a like just like it's so it's so awful that he is basically just like rubbing his hands together with fiscal glee at the concept of of having to scoop his his sister's splattered body into a coffin right yeah and and there's like cartoon cash registers going off what's funny is i feel like that scene in a different context would totally be played for laughs, right? Like that's totally a, a stupid joke that like you would see like almost in a cartoon or something. You, you know what I mean? Kind of a like, oh really? What kind of, oh, your mother's dead. I'm so sorry. What kind of coffin was that? Ooh, expensive. You know, like that, that could be kind of funny, you know, for a certain kind of dark comedy, but here it's just chill. It's just horrible. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, that I do have a little bit of a criticism of the episode. I think that they if I were to guess, I feel like potentially the writers were not as comfortable with this subject matter as they could have been. Mm-hmm. And I think that if it were written today and potentially you had a black director or a black writer, they could have added looped in some dark comedy that would have made it more dynamic and interesting and fun to watch. Right. So, like, I mean, of course, it's horror. It's supposed to horrify you. I think that that's like kind of the general tone of all this. But I Mm -hmm. think it would be nice to get a little bit of like horror so often uses comedy as like a little relief that then only exemplifies the horror. And I think that the they could have used a little bit of this here and given us like a little relief so that when we came back to the horror of it, it would be even worse. I got a little horror fatigued during this episode. I, yeah, I, I I didn't get fatigued. And I, I know what you're saying, though. This is something that benefits from being about, you know, 20, 20 minutes and change uh, that it is. Because, yeah, if, if you had to watch if you had to watch 90 minutes of this and, you know, they flesh it out or whatever, they made a new movie, it, it, it would be a little bit much. It could be it's just it's a little bit dour and plotting. Uh, the the ultimate payoff comes a little bit. I think a, it feels like it comes a little bit late. Um, I think that. uh uh, that Moses Gunn is sort of carrying most of this. Yes. Uh, no disrespect to any of the rest of the cast or anything like that. But I think that he, I think the the it's, guy it's, who plays Bobby does a really good job too. But yeah, yeah, right. But but you know he's still kind of he's he's stuck because he is both at least technically a child actor and also his his job is basically just sort of emote and react with horror to things Uncle Ezra does. Well, he's um, but, the he's he, he's a naive orphan character, right? right? right. Like <laughs> literally a naive. Yes, right, right, right. But just to say that, I think that like the horribleness of Moses of Moses Gunn's character is kind of what you're what the the what you're given, and and that for me fits feels about right for as long as the episode is. Um, but you're totally right in that if there was more of it, you'd just be kind of like, I get it, okay, fine. So I I really think that this story is tight in terms of. And I in kind of like looping it back to your statement about capitalism of 
like the stinginess and cheapness and the reliant over reliance and importance put on money above mm-hmm. anything else. I I like it as like kind of a horror element of like how that makes you reject community mm-hmm. and yeah. and reject your own flesh and blood. Sure. Um, I, I would watch way more horror movies that would explore this as a concept. It almost as kind of like almost what is like the anarcho-socialist, even though that could be seen as contradiction sometimes. But, you know, that's sort of a sort of general leftist view of this would, would end with the community like rising up and busting him, busting down the, the uh, funeral parlor and being like undertaking s- undertaking services should be done at cost for free. <laughs> yeah. Ba- uh, respectful burial is a human right. I do believe right, that. Right. Yeah, I do, I, that. I do too. The yes. state should pay for that. Dignity and death. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was yeah. one aspect that I feel like they sort of played with a little bit here, and it uh-huh. didn't. I didn't feel like there was enough payoff on it, but I wanted to get your your take on it. Sure. Yeah. So, of course, we have. Um, of, of course, we have that the figure of the father burying his son, who's around Bobby's age as well. Right. As contrast for Ezra, where you have a mourning father um, weeping while Ezra is coldly sawing Bobby's legs off. And I, right. th- so that I think he's definitely in there as well. But I kind of wondered if they could have had something where there was some commentary about, like, the preciousness of black teenage boys. And yeah. I, 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 I kind of wish it was in there as well. I, I but, did. So I, I have a couple thoughts. Um, number one, I, I good on them for not again making this like a sort of weirdly dated thing where they're like another victim of the streets you know yes, one, that's one of those true. kind of i mean even though even though that is true to a lot of people's experience i think it I, I, as i perhaps in a very disorganized way alluded to previously is is i think when that becomes such a such a huge overwhelming trope in media um that you know it that it becomes saccharine and it doesn't actually hold right. any meaning also yeah. probably none of the people writing or directing this can tell that story Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not I'm not true. I'm I'm attempting to defend the dignity of the reality of that story by criticizing the trivial trivializing. I'm not trying to erase it or make it invisible. Um, and, and and there were a couple things that were weird. Do you remember when he's measuring that boy's body and the body twitches? Yeah, that was weird. And, and I was like, oh, I, I, at that the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a zombie story like that. That body's not dead. It's going to. It's either going to be alive or it's going to come alive, you know. So that was weird. Um, I also it's sort of a weird thing where I feel like Bobby's a little bit too old. Uh, if you're, you know, I if your parents if you're, die and you're 18, I know I agree. Right. Like, yeah, you don't if you're, go if your parents live with your uncle you're like, Ezra, right? And even if even if like Bobby's like 15, like he could just kind of become like a teen runaway. And then after your like crappy uncle like beats you so much, you're paralyzed, and well, then you're just kind of like. Like, and I understand it's a story, right? But you're, you're kind of just hanging around his mortician shop, still whining around on your crutches. Holy, holy cow. I feel like, I mean, like, I feel like they sort of write Bobby like he's maybe 11 or 12. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Because yeah, remember when he gets beaten and the doctor um, uh, is talking to him and he says something about like, you know, like kids running around, you know, getting hurt or he's a spirited boy. And the doctor says, not anymore. What a, yeah. what a what a chilling thing but also like a weird thing to say about a teenager is a teenager spirited yeah i don't know maybe they I felt mean, <laughs> maybe they were maybe they were thinking if if i recall correctly when i was looking at um i could only really find a couple of pages from the vault of horror that is this uh-huh. i think that the kid is supposed to be younger 
Yeah, yeah. I and mean, maybe it, it was just a thing where sense. they were like, we cannot show Uncle Ezra sawing the legs off an 11 year old kid. Like, it might have just been that. That would be know. so that would be so great and horrible. <laughs> like, I think I mean, as, as as good a job as the actor does. This episode probably would have been better if it was a if it was like a child. I did feel like I had to suspend my disbelief when he showed up and he's like, I'm going to come and live with you. I was like, dude, get your own apartment. You look like a fully grown adult. Like, <laughs> Uncle Ezra can live with you. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, just like go get a job and you'll be yeah. fine. Like, I don't know. I, I agree. The, initially, when he showed up, I was like, I think this kid is like at least like 18 or 19, which is why when I was like, I think he's supposed to be like 16 or 17. Because he's oh, so he's so he's so a grown up. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm also also at some point I was like, dude, just like kick Ezra's ass. Yeah, right. That's the other thing. Yes. He is so much bigger than Uncle Ezra throughout. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and probably, like and like yeah. spry, right? You know, like Ezra's yeah. an old man. How about when how about when Uncle Ezra says, You bounce that ball, I'll bounce your balls right out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yes. <laughs> yes. If see, like those are funny moments, and I wish that there was like a I, I wish that there was like a little bit more allowance and like elastic in the story so that they could be funnier. Ooh, They're oh, funny okay. when we talk about them now, but at the time it wasn't. I mean, it was funny, but I. It was like it. Yeah, the, yeah. No, the it, tone it, of the episode did not allow me to enjoy them as much as yeah, I yeah, wanted yeah. to. These, these, they almost feel like, and they might not have been, but they almost feel like ad libs because there's no like pause to punch that line. It's just kind of something he says, and you're like, wait, he says something hilarious, and you're like, on to the next part, right? Or the when he when he kills Bobby, and he's like, hello, Bobby. <laughs> and so it's delivered such a weird, in such a weird way. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, so this is maybe a second. Uh, this is second Johnston ambush from Thomas. No. Um, sec- second question. I have a theory. Where do you think this is set? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, like probably not. The, it doesn't seem like it's supposed to be the South. It's definitely but, not like the deep South. Like people don't have right, people don't right, have yeah. Southern accents. There's not a lot of like sweating and mopping of brows, and it's not set in a big city. I don't think, like, I don't think it's in New York or Chicago, because like you see the outside of the funeral home oftentimes, and it appears to just kind of be. I mean, like, it was definitely shot in L.A., so it kind of looks like L.A. Mm -hmm. And we, Um, you know, mostly we're indoors. There's not a lot of exterior stuff. Here's my theory. But everyone's, but everyone's dressed. I think a little bit more conservatively than it would be if it was set in L.A. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think that this. Okay, so remember what I... Crypt Creepers, remember what I said at the top of the episode? Here it comes. Chicken's coming home to roost. I think this is set in Philadelphia. Here's oh, my you evidence. Think that, do you think that this is a... Um, do you think that this is a uh, a horror version of The Fresh Prince? Yes. No, I think it's set in Philadelphia. Because, step one, I have been to Philadelphia, so I know Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, you're no. like, I know what Philadelphia looks like. No, no. So the director's from Philly. Philly has a um, established and vibrant um, African-American community. Yep. Um, that uh, that that has existed, you know, forever. Um, and uh, the director's from Philadelphia. This does seem kind of it feels kind of um, East Coast. You know, it does, again, it's, it doesn't seem like it's in California or anything weird like that. It's not in the South. Probably not in the Midwest. Um, and here's my here's my coup de gras. When he says, uh, remember, Unc- Uncle Ezra likes to do lots of like phony and out of context Bible quotations. And he says a penny or penny saved is a penny earned. And uh, uh, his nephew corrects him. And he says, that's Ben Franklin who said that people in Philadelphia love 
Ben Franklin. It's the only time it comes up. Definitely set in Philadelphia. 100%. Boom. Slam dunk. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. Like, I think if you asked anyone from Philadelphia, um, the Mark Maron question, who's your guys? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ben so who are your guys? Is, Four and ben five Franklin. is always going to be Ben Franklin. Yeah, I think that he's always at least one of the guys. <laughs> yeah, I agree with yeah. that. I, I like that theory. I did wonder yeah. where this was set, uh, especially when we were reading um, all of Bunch Lyons' work about mm-hmm. uh, Southern funeral homes. Right. And, and, and that would also perhaps kind of account for if, and this is, to- oh, the other thing, um, Philadelphia has a fairly vibrant Chinatown, which would maybe make the the connection with um, the, the Chinese connection for the coffins also make sense in a way that I don't really think it would for like most southern cities. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, what I mean, I, I, and we, we know we, I'm sure that that although I don't I don't know, but I'm sure that's in the original one, too, where they're like Chinese coffins, six cents or shorter. That felt kind of bad and racist, but oh, yeah. I. I would bet you so much money that's from the original text. That seems like something that like people reading comic books in the 40s and 50s would be like, ah, ha, 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 hilarious. It's because, it's because the people are smaller than Ameri- than than good strapping American people. Yeah, right, probably. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah yes. And I, I definitely got the feeling. So we see him. We see the coffin getting unpacked and it definitely feels like it just like came off a dock. Right. right. So they yeah, probably yeah. live kind of close to the ocean. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I, but no, I that's my thought. This also would maybe account for, and this is totally made up, but if the director, you know, did grow up in Philadelphia and sort of was not a part of, but adjacent to this sort of community, maybe, maybe when making this episode, if the, if the, it was not handed down, because again, we keep, I, I keep saying this and probably it gets awkward, but this doesn't, this isn't, uh, this feels like quite respectful and just sort of incidentally an all black cast sort of episode. So maybe he was just like, Hey, look, you know, I sort of, th- th- this is something that's been happening that, that I have seen around me. Why not? Why don't we do it this way instead yeah. of, you, you know what I mean? Instead of, uh, I don't know, when you say Tales from the Crypt All Black episode, I was thinking we were going to watch something that was like Shaft or Boys from the Hood or something. Oh, yeah. Or I expected it to be um, a period piece. Yeah. Like yes. a lot of a lot of oh, the times sure. when and during this time period, right? Like, I mean, like Roots was like the, the dominant yeah. touchstone for so long at this time period that yeah like i mean and, and we still we still absolutely have that problem like think about oh, think yeah. about what yes. gets think about what yes. what all black cast or like majority black cast movies get nominated for oscars right it's always like this yeah. person is fighting racial oppression in the past yeah it's you know? always yes vaguely um revisionist tales of the civil rights movement or slave narratives yep or yeah or now Black Panther. Hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, like, like, like to that, it's like th- those are the kind of stories we want black people to tell us. And that's that's messed up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. like, like there should be a Nora Ephron esque movie about with an all black cast. That is mm-hmm. that is critically that we treat with critical interest. Those movies absolutely exist. It's just the way that like the, like they don't think that they should market them to white people. And Movies that aren't marketed to white people don't get nominated for Oscars because Oscar's so white and AKA Oscar's very racist. <laughs> Oscar's so racist. Yes. Oscar's, I, um, Oscar's, you are very racist. Hashtag. And, and, let, and let's really show off here. Really, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to show off, uh, you know, uh, Tales of the Crypt would not do Boys in the Hood or Boys in the Hood, but instead would do like Menace to Society or New Jack City or something, something maybe a little bit less less respectable like that yeah more derivative less respectful so yeah. the, se- the segregation of media um i i could feel that palpably when i watched uh-huh. this episode 
And I don't really think that we've fixed it very much. I mean, it still blows my mind that we get articles where it's like Black Panther made so much money. Turns out white people don't mind looking at black actors. And like, Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think Hollywood and media in general, even though we think of it as quite liberal, right, Mm -hmm. um, has very conservative and uh, almost like segregation level um, ideas about what gets marketed to who. I think that um, I think this is a relatively well-trod critique of liberalism, liberalism in like the way that all of your obnoxious like uh, communist friends use it, (laughs) where you know sort of like liberalism as opposed to leftism. Um, I think that uh, fairly, fairly common that liberals are on board for most stuff. Uh, as long as it doesn't hurt the bottom line such that, you know, right. So uh, as long as, <laughs> you know, sort of they're down for anything, as long as it doesn't directly put them in financial risk or material risk. And uh, so, of course, right. All about like acceptance and stuff, but they're not going to make movies that, that that might not might not play well in Peoria. That, that would be crazy. Yeah. It's a damn shame. Mm hmm. Yep. It's a damn shame. And because we don't really fund like medium budget movies anymore, mm-hmm. I think that the the squeeze, it's like, right, like it's a, it's a, <laughs> the squeeze on the middle class, the squeeze on the middle, the middle budget movie is mm-hmm. happening so that like you only want to fund things that you like give no money to and then they can take risks, right? But then they're not right. marketed. They, they don't release in every theater. Like it's harder to see. Uh, the people who work on them don't get as much money so that they don't like can't like catapult forward in terms of uh, their their uh, market value as actors mm-hmm. um, or you only give projects that are absolutely safe that everyone will like um, and therefore are sort of mediocre in terms of risk, quote unquote. And those things just kind of perpetuate the status quo. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, a shame. It's, it's a shame. It's tricky. Yeah. I I don't know. Well, no, no, I, I think it's tricky that for us as two privileged white people to kind of talk about this. Uh, yeah. Because. And two privileged white well, people who like. To criticize who like the, and, and, right. and privileged white people who live in areas where like we can see any kind of movie we want. Right. right. Like we have nice art house theaters and things like that. So like we can see whatever we want. Oh, I just mean, I just mean, I was just, I, I was maybe having an imaginary conversation with myself and I was like. Because then you sort of have to criticize what what exists as status quo here, right? You know, because mm-hmm. doesn't this become like, well, what about Will Smith? What about Jordan Peele? You know, where it, it I think what what really happens is you end up um, the market sort of ends up like tokenizing, or you know, it kind of becomes well, you know, uh, uh, you know, Donald Glover and Jordan Peele can do whatever they want, but no, no one else. We've already, we 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 already have that. We we have. You know, our quota is full. We have black filmmakers now. It, that that sort of thing probably is is more is what we have now instead of instead yeah. of what our parents' generation had, which was basically nothing. Uh, yeah. But, but 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 you know, it's tricky because there it feels tricky just because you don't want to step all over. You know, right? Like, well, you don't want to. Michael trivialize. B. Jordan doesn't have to be ashamed that he was Killmonger. In fact, he was the best part of the movie. But yeah. also, well, and you also don't want to trivialize trivialize like the. <laughs> the remarkable impact those people have had on right, right, culture right, right. and and black people have had on what is popular and exciting in culture for like forever right 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 so but that, that, that's what i'm saying that you know it's it's hard to be like you know, it's it's hard because when you try to get 
granular with your criticism then are you like gonna you know, step up sort of step on people who are deserving who probably are deserving of more success than they already have but you yeah. know how do you, it's it, it's just it's a big mess this is a this is like something that always like peeves me and uh, i think is the ultimate sign that we absolutely tokenize like oh the few like the few people who are who like are like oh a few people few black people who are going to let in and like white people are cool with seeing sure. in big budget movies if you like look at lists of like the most handsome man like in oh, yeah. like kind of like ladies mags or like sure. you know like us us weekly and things like that denzel washington is still like talked about so much and he's usually like the only black guy they talk about and you're like i mean really i mean he's a <laughs> he's a handsome man but like he is like the ultimate where it's just like and white ladies this this will appeal to them and make them feel like they're kind of like cool and like woke but not threaten them in any way and or not disrupt the status quo of of um the pervasiveness of white standards of beauty that mess up Everybody, including white people, by the way, like yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it peeves me. I hate it so much. <laughs> I remember vividly as a child, keeping with the tie in loosely with that episode that um, I remember watching on the Learning Channel, the Discovery Channel's trashy younger brother um, that uh, like one of these science of beauty things where they, I don't know, used they used computer imaging to show that Denzel Washington and uh, Paul Newman like ha- have symmetric and like the same facial proportion somehow and that's why they are mathematically the most handsome men (laughs) in the world also like what a like what a bizarro like phrenology-esque take on beauty it's like (laughs) no no no, the reason that white people like denzel washington is because he looks like a white guy yikes yikes that's tough again i the only my only my only concern with any of this is that like Denzel Washington is a great actor and, you know, like, deserves all the success. Again, Absolutely. Maybe, maybe also, more success. Also a total babe ram. Like, yeah. Right. Like, like, he's yeah, a babe. Like, yeah. But, yes, like, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's kind of right, a... Like, this is of, not a this Halle is not Berry a, is sort of the, 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 the male or female, depending on which way you... Equivalent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And both of those people are awesome and, like... Absolutely. It's nothing. It's nothing on them. It's it's garbage. It's garbage. White people <laughs> that I'm well, that I, and really, that I and wish really, to criticize. So, so really, if we're just if we're going way out in the weeds and really like, let's be real, like in, in our heart of hearts. And Donald Glover is sort of that for like millennials, for like yes. hipsters, you know, right. And, that, like, and that's why he was on girls. And that's, you know, right. Like, just and that's all, probably why he was on community. Even I will go so far. Well, and, and again, that's not I'm not I'm not uh, criticizing him for his success just to say that, like. He, he's like the go-to black actor for for that generation. Yeah. All right. Let's read the sucker. What did you let's think? Let's do it. Let's do it. So I, uh, I, I kind of, so initially I was like, eh, I was a little, like, as always, the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't think I like this episode. Second time I saw it, I was like, I kind of really like this episode. So I don't think this isn't an all timer or anything. Um, I think it's notable that in our discussion of it, we didn't talk about the scary part at all. <laughs> Although Which, I think that the I think that the effects there were fun. Like I thought yeah. it looks pretty good when the little disembodied Air Jordans walked down the stairs. Yeah, no, I thought yeah, I thought they were pretty good. I I, I kind of thought a little bit. The it made me think effects about were fun. Child's yeah. play. He has he has some great kind of thriller esque kind of like gaunt ghost makeup on. I thought it was pretty good. So I thought this was a uh, it was about about an average episode, maybe maybe slightly above average. So I gave this one three spooky cutoff ankles. Nice. Um. I thought this was strictly an average episode. I think mm-hmm. that 
like, and what's funny to me is on average episodes, I think that we have to work harder to find like juicy stuff that we want to talk about. And so I really enjoy the conversations we have about episodes that I think are strictly average. Sure. And I don't so and so I've enjoyed talking about this episode more than I would enjoy probably watching the episode again. Like yeah. I would rather have more conversations about this episode than watch the episode again, which sure. is now like my internal meter for like this is just average. But it's not bad. And if I were to if I if I were saying it's like suggesting someone watch Tales from the Crypt. I wouldn't tell them to avoid watching this episode for fear that they'd be like, this show's not very good. Like, I'd be like, this is a good idea of the kind of thing you're going to get when you watch Mm -hmm. Tales from the Crypt. But you also would not. Yeah, you also there's no world where you're like, oh, man, fitting punishment. Fire it up. Yeah, if you need to, if you're only going to watch one Tales from the Crypt episode, this would not be my top pick. So I said that this was um, right down the middle, uh, two and a half out of five uh, Air Jordans. Nice, nice, nice. We should come up with a name for this effect because we, we I, I know I have said this at least a couple times. So maybe we should call You want to call this the four-sided triangle effect? Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought that four-sided triangle was riskier in what it uh-huh. did. So I kind of sure. gave it more more I credit. Yeah, maybe we have, we'll have to dig um, deep into it. I'm just thinking of one with a fun, a fun, memorable name where I was like, I like talking about this more than I like watching it. What was the one that was like that the most for me is the one with the gamblers. What was that one called? Oh, cutting cards. But see, I also really like that. That's like the one with a huge that where you're like two and I'm like four. <laughs> no, yeah. like cutting cards to me is like a, a strictly average episode, but I loved talking about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yep. Uh, we'll, um, we'll, 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 we'll figure out. We'll call it. We'll fi- Actually, we should just each call it different things. I mean, what we should call it is cutting triangles. This was this was a regular cutting triangle situation. Yeah. Cutting triangles sounds like it would be a forgotten uh, early 90s, late 80s sitcom. Yeah, totally. Yes, yes, yes. All right. <laughs> So next week, uh, or next time we we join you guys, uh, Tales from the Crypt is going mega meta with an episode about people who write the Tales from the Crypt comic, but they keep referring it to as a magazine, which I thought was super funny. Um, (laughs) And we're going to explore what, uh, quote unquote, magazine illustrators uh, behave and think like when they are taking... Viagra, a.k.a. potency medication, in season two, uh, episode 13, Corman's Calamity, spelled with a K. Your description is horrifying. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's good. It could, your description is awesome and horrifying. Let's see what comic book guys get up to when they pop Viagra. <laughs> next, next time. <laughs> I mean, that is what this episode is about. <laughs> I know. I know. We're, gonna, we're just going to get a bunch of get, get a bunch of horror cartoonists in a room. Pop some boner pills. See what happens. Yeah, totally. Maybe they're going to draw some stuff. Who knows? Um, As always, you can find uh, our Amazon affiliate link in our show description. Uh, Throw a few bones our way, um, as well as John Kassir's way. We always appreciate that, and we assume he does as well. Let's just say that, again, this is another, another thing for the bingo card. Late insert talking about the bumpers. Did you love that in the beginning, uh, the Crypt Keeper is dressed up like he's playing basketball? I'm sorry, casketball. And he says that this is an episode about his favorite sport, being a mortician. <laughs> I found the JV embalming. I found the intros to this like kind of racist in that they were like, bah! 
basketball, black people, done. Right. No, no, and, right. Yes. I was and, yeah, and not also, set up for success. And also baffling, like <laughs> utterly baffling. I was like, why? Your favorite sport is undertaking? No, that's so great. That's so weird. My favorite sport is being a mortician. <laughs> That's, you that's what, not a joke. This is no, no, no. It's not a pun. It's not a joke. It's also like probably the plot of some like forgotten manga series, right? You know how they're you know like My Hero Academia yeah, and stuff, yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. like we're going to the super exclusive Japanese high school where everyone is a world class undertaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need the students to involve in an interschool competition about undertaking who can embalm the body the best. I would read the heck out of that series. Yeah, that would be pretty wild. <laughs> Shin Watanabe um, is the most gifted undertaker in his prefecture. Uh, <laughs> as always, I want to thank the Creepies for joining us on this episode of Crypt Keepers. Um, do us a favor, and uh, if you haven't already, subscribe uh, to our podcast. And if you like us, uh, please leave us a rating and, and maybe write a little review. We'd appreciate that so much. Oh, Mary, and should we do should we do a big announcement? Is it time for a secret big announcement? coming soon to social media near you there will be ways to email us and follow us on twitter in the near future stay posted for details creepies oh and instagram and instagram yeah right the social meads the social meads very we're millennials we're not old we're cool we're cool we'll hit you up on the snapchat we'll send you a line on the snapchat (laughs) we know about we know about memes and drink white claw and stuff it's good yeah i drink bon and viv but yeah <laughs> Till next time, kitties. Uncle Ezra worked so hard. It was quite an undertaking. <laughs> he was hoping to make a killing, but he, in the end, he got everything he earned. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Outrageous?